Hey there, Fats and Ghouls, and welcome to another episode of Night of the Living History. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Um, in this episode, we're going to be talking about the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. It's okay if you've never heard of it. We're going to jump into it. It's going to be a good time. So um, let's go ahead. Let's get started. And uh, let's get spooky, my loves. But too much is falling in Okay, so this chilling historic event takes place on February 14th, 1929. But before we tell this story, we're going to go back just a little bit, rewind and refocus. We're going to start with none other than Al Capone. Um, I'd be surprised if you haven't heard of him. Um, if you haven't, I'm sure you have all heard of or seen the movie Scarface. Um, that movie is actually um, based on Al Capone. Um, Al Capone inspired the Silver Screen mob boss Tony Montana. Um, so in a way, I guess you could say you know him if you at least know that much. Um, Capone was born to a family of immigrants in Brooklyn, New York. Um, at the very young age of around 11, Capone dropped out of school after being initiated into a notorious street gang. Uh, Johnny Torrio was the leader of the gang, eventually invited little Al to join him in Chicago once he'd become a lieutenant of sorts in the Colissimo mob. Um, January 17, 1920, prohibition was being ratified into the U.S. Constitution. For those of you who weren't paying attention in your high school history classes, prohibition was a movement that made the manufacture, transportation, and sale of intoxicating liquor illegal. Now, Bats and Ghouls, you may be wondering, who the hell would make alcohol illegal? We're going to hit that rewind button one more time and just jump back a little bit further. Um, there was a religious reawakening in the years floating between 1820s and the 1830s in the United States. Women played a very strong role in this mobilizing this movement. Um, they were essentially blaming alcohol for the destruction of monogamous marriages and for tearing apart families. This continues through the passing of legislature in a number of states, um, well into the beginning of the Civil War in 1861. We're going to go ahead and fast forward one more time to 1920. Um, the protests and rebellion uh, that were brought on by Prohibition were seen as a sort of spark of opportunity for Torrio and Capone. Uh, this became one of their many endeavors amongst um, some other legitimate businesses that they had, such as labor unions. I know, when I think mob bosses, I think labor unions, am I right? Anyways, soon, uh, Torrio became the leader of the gang after the death of Big Jim Colissimo with Capone as his right-hand man. That was short-lived. Um, in 1925, Torrio was wounded in an attempt on his life. Uh, someone attempted to assassinate him. He gave control over to Al Capone and retired to a peaceful life in Brooklyn. Capone begins to become the most feared, um, with a reputation of being ruthless um, and eliminating any rival gangs that crossed his path. The suburbs of Cicero in Chicago became well-known uh, Capone mob territory. Back to our main course. February 14, 1929, inside the SMC Cartage Company garage, located in Chicago, ten members of the Bug Moran gang were set to be inside of the garage. Bug Moran himself and two other members were running late, so seven of the members went ahead and went to wait inside. The men were all associated with Moran's bootlegging operation. We're going to jump back to Prohibition a little bit. Bootlegging was a term commonly uh, used during the Prohibition era, um, and it referred to alcohol smugglers. Um, essentially, I think it comes from at some point there were women who used to smuggle alcohol for these men, um, and essentially wearing 
uh, boots that had little pockets on them that they could actually slip bottles of homemade alcohol into. Um, it just became a widely used term in regards to alcohol smugglers and manufacturers um, across the board. This meeting um, that they were attending at this garage was in fact to discuss the purchase of a hijacked shipment of Canadian whiskey. While they were waiting, uh, four men, two of which were dressed in police uniforms, pulled up in a police squad car and went inside. Once the men were inside the building, it just so happens that Bug Moran and the two other associates that were arriving late saw the car, um, the police car, and thought it was a best to just kind of lay low. They kept walking um, and decided they would catch up with the other seven later. Um, obviously, because they were performing illegal activity, they thought it best not to just walk into a building where there may be police. Um, back inside the garage, the supposed officers ordered the seven members of Bugs Gang to line up shoulder to shoulder with their backs facing the officers against a wall. The men, of course, did as they were told, um, assuming that they were experiencing a police raid. The two men who were dressed as officers opened fire with two Thompson submachine guns, killing all seven men. Now, when this kind of this massacre kind of came to light, um, it ignited a extreme public outcry. Um, they didn't know who had done it at first. It was just seen as super graphic. Um, the St. Valentine's Day massacre was reported across the country. Um, the public became outraged. Citizens were mortified that mob leaders were being glorified to this point, um, including Al Capone. Al Capone was kind of the center for this. Um, at some point, he was actually initially thought to be behind the attack, even though um, he did in fact have an alibi at this time. He was living in Florida, which was way further away from Chicago. Um, however, there were still a lot of people that doubted that he didn't have anything to do with it, regardless of whether or not he was physically there or capable of performing this act. Um, people were, of course, protesting, um, and President Hoover himself actually called out law enforcement, demanding that they, quote-unquote, get Capone. Um, a line of violence had been crossed um, in the public's eyes, and police began a series of investigations, igniting a desire for law enforcement and political reform. Um, this massacre is taught um, in public high schools, at least I, I learned it in one of my classes, because of the fact that it ignited such um, a call for political reform. All right, bats and ghouls, it's time to talk about movies, books, and places to visit. Um, some of the movies that I do recommend, um, they kind of have more of just that mob boss feeling. They aren't necessarily about the St. Valentine's Day Massacre um, itself, um, but Capone is one of them. The Untouchables is one of my all-time favorite movies. Um, Capone himself is in the movie, played by Robert De Niro, which is, of course, mwah, chef's kiss, perfect, um, and of course, Scarface. Um, there were a ton of books on the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Um, I, there, I mean, there were so many at this point, honestly, I didn't even want to get into looking into each and every one of them. So just look them, look them up, Google them. There's a bunch that'll pop up. Um, you can get just kind of decide for yourself which ones um, interest you or look interesting to you. Um, places to visit, you can actually visit the SMC Cartage Company Garage. Um, it is in Chicago, um, and I believe that they have a museum inside. I could be mistaken, but I think I remember reading that, that um, there was some kind of museum inside of that garage. 
Well, bats and ghouls, um, thank you so much for joining me again for another episode of Night of the Living History. I hope you all have a happy Valentine's Day, um, whatever that means to you, whether it's listening to a spooky podcast alone or with a significant other. Um, You guys stay spooky and have a happy Valentine's Day. But when I think of you